So if you have your Bibles, have them handy, but there's going to be a number of passages up on the screen for you to follow along with this morning as we finish this series that we've been walking through over the last month called What is the Gospel? Now, that, we've, we've kind of tackled this subject because regardless of how long you've been a part of following Jesus or in the church, sometimes when it comes to this term, the gospel, which means good news, we sometimes have a tendency to believe more or less of what the gospel really means. And that begins to shape the way we see our faith, the way we see our life. And so we've been walking through some really important parts of what is the gospel. If you were here the first week, just a quick review, we talked about that the gospel has to do with this big, expansive narrative called human history that God is unfolding, and it's his mass plan of reconciling people back to him through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. So it's this big plan that God has been unfolding, and it's something that he initiates and, and comes after us with his love. The second week, we talked a little bit about kind of our side of the story, which is all of us struggle with trusting God, believing in God, uh, wanting to be our own God, all those kinds of things, and how that kind of causes us to disconnect from God, and that's why Jesus loves us so much that he gave his life to reconnect us to God. And then last week, we talked about a really important context for the gospel relating to God, and it's in the form of two things, grace and mercy, and we talked about those last week. And so all of that to say, as we get to today, we're going to talk about mission because this journey or this narrative or the story that God is unfolding continues on after we understand the gospel. And so to understand this, I want to kind of motivate us just to think for a moment. If you in your life have come to a place where you understand that God profoundly loves you enough to send his son for you and for his son to die for you and then rise from the dead to create this environment where you can be reconnected with God, not only in this life, but for eternity. And that's the gospel. That's good news. If you really believe that, you cannot be quiet about it. You can't. And that means that if you and I come to a place where we think that the gospel ends with me, well, once I got the good news and once that everything kind of got taken care of for me and I got my salvation, then I put a period at the end of the sentence and I just live my life happily ever after. If we live that way, then we really don't know the gospel because the gospel doesn't end with us. The gospel ends with the world. And like, there's, a, there's a term that we use or a question that we ask in the church and I wouldn't necessarily maybe say it's a little strong to say it's the wrong question, but I think there's a better question. Many times I hear this question asked to people, what is God's will for my life? Anybody ever asked that question before? Raise your hand. There's a better question. What is God's will for the world? See, if you, you and I start with what is God's will for my life, we never get to the world, and we never really find out what our purpose is. But if we start with the question, what is God's will for the world, we will get to God's will for our life. Because God cares deeply for the world that we live in. And so this morning I want to take some time to talk about mission and how God has called us to participate in this thing called mission. And so we're going to touch on a few of the different elements because this is the story God is unfolding in our lives that continues after we understand this concept of the gospel. Two quick things to start off with. What has God called you to do? Now, if you understand that Jesus loves you and you've given your life to him, then he's called you, and we're going to keep it really simple, to two main things in your life that he wants you to accomplish. The first one is a concept you've probably heard before if you're a part of Antioch. It's the word reconciliation. That God has called you to be a part of the process of reconciliation in the lives of other people. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Paul says this, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself, 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What does that mean? So, so many times we get stuck and we think, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the gospel is God trying to make humans perfect, as though that's the goal of the gospel. Or the goal of Christianity is just morality. And those are byproducts of what God is in the process of doing. What God's main focus is, is to reconcile all things back to himself through Jesus. And that means something very important at the foundation of mission in the gospel. It's a relational issue. It's not about a belief system, although belief is a part of it. It's not about a certain theology, although th- theology is a part of it. It's At its core, it's a broken relationship that we're talking about. It's a broken relationship with God. It's a broken relationship with each other. It's a broken relationship with ourselves. It's a broken relationship with all of creation. That's the state that we're in. We're broken. And that means when we think about mission and we think about people, it isn't about having a great apologetic that's going to wow them with your wisdom of scripture and history and evolution and creation, all of that. Those are important things. But at the core of every human being is a broken relationship. And that's where we have to start We understand that we are, Paul says that we are ambassadors of reconciliation, which means as we are coming to grips with our own brokenness and God is reconciling us back to him through Jesus, that we start to look at other people and we don't see them as the sinner or the type of behavior or the belief system or their nationality or their religious beliefs. We don't see that. What we see is at the core of every human being is a brokenness that can only be answered to through reconciliation back to God through Jesus. That's what he calls us to be, ambassadors. So you have been reconciled, and now you are to be a reconciler. And then it comes down to when you experience a broken relationship with somebody else, you are a reconciler to reconcile that relationship. If you see two people who are at odds and they have a broken relationship, you are the reconciler to help them back into right relationship. That's what God calls us to do. So he starts with reconciliation, then there's a second term. A second term that what God calls us to do, and it's a very popular term in the church and it's been used for thousands of years it's called discipleship anybody heard of that term before yes okay first service must have been much smarter than you guys because they responded right away so okay you guys are a little slow today I'll f- it must be valentine's day right you're thinking about what movie you're going to see what you didn't get for your wife those kind of things okay discipleship okay what is discipleship the word disciple means learner That means somebody who's committed to learning and following. And so in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what Jesus says, some of his final words to his followers. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What did Jesus say to do? He commanded us to make disciples. And what is making disciples? It is letting people into your life so that they see how you follow Jesus and then helping them to learn how to live that same rhythm out in their life. That's making a disciple. See, when when we look at discipleship, it's not that we sit down and gain all of the information we need in a class about discipleship, although that's important. It's the life that we live and how that rubs off on other people that helps make disciples to actually engage people to the place where they know our lives well enough. What they look at our lives, they think, 
There's something different about them. And the more that you hang out with somebody, the more you become like them. Anybody ever experience you get really close to somebody and there's certain things that they say and now you start saying the same things they're saying? Anybody experience that? It comes out of your mouth. It's like, where'd that come from? Came from a friend that you got really close to, close to. What's happening? They're rubbing off on you. That's the process of discipleship. That's how Jesus did it originally with his original 12. They spent day in and day out with him and so he began to rub off on them. They, beca- he beca- they became like him. When we moved to Oregon, I was an Oregon duck hater. So University of Oregon is like the equivalent of a professional team in Oregon. That's, they don't have a professional football team. It is the Oregon Ducks. And so growing up in Southern California, I've always been a UCLA fan. And the Ducks have been the enemy. And so when we got to Oregon, I was like, I am in a sea of duck fans and I can't stand it. And I would pull hard for UCLA. And in fact, went to a, a, a duck basketball game when UCLA was playing. I'm not joking. I think I was the only UCLA fan in the whole arena. I had to be careful on how exuberant I was when they'd score a basket. I'm not kidding. It was dangerous walking out of the arena. They are hardcore fans. But I started to realize something. As I'm hanging out with all these insane duck fans, people that I really starting to like and actually love in the church that we're passing, the people we're hanging out, I started to love them and I, something started to happen to me. I started to actually like the things that they loved. And we would go over to people's houses and we would watch, I mean, seriously, duck football games are insane. Everybody's watching the game. The whole state of Oregon comes to a screeching halt just to watch duck football games. There was one family in our church that they're so intense in their, their commitment that they like watch every game and if there's something gonna be delayed, they'll DVR it. And so we were at their house and they had DVR'd the game. So we were about a half hour behind live and the phone rings. And he checks the caller ID and it's one of his family members from Phoenix and they know that they're watching the game live and we're watching it delayed. And as just before it goes to the machine where you can hear the message, he knows they're gonna say something happened in the duck game. He runs to the kitchen, no joke, and rips the, wa- the phone right out of the wall. <laughs> Puts it on the counter and runs back over and sits down and watches the game. Hardcore. But something started to happen to me, and I'll have to admit, after seven years, you know what happened to me? I'm still a UCLA fan, hardcore, but I'm an Oregon Duck fan because these people finally wore me down. I hung out with them long enough that I started to love what they love, and I didn't get quite as crazy as they did, but I had this, this desire. Now when the Ducks are on, I want to watch it. On my phone, I have the ESPN app, and it tells me if the Ducks win or lose. It's because why I became a Duck fan. In fact, it got to the ridiculous point where they did this to me. Look at the screen. There you go. Now, when you look at that picture, I, some of you have seen it before. That sits on the, that's on the, hangs on the back of my door in my office. I wish that was my body. It's not. It's my head on a linebacker's body, and I only wish that was true of me. But that's, that's kind of a joke that I thought, oh, looks pretty good. I wish I was that weight and that height and that strength, and I played for Oregon. But I didn't. But anyway, what happened to me, whether you know it or not, that's discipleship. That's what happens. Is finally the people that I love, I learn to love the things that they love. If you spend time with people and you begin to live out authentically your faith in following Jesus and people see your story and understand your life, guess what will happen? Over time, they will begin to love the thing that you love. They will love the Savior that you love if you'll spend time with them as you allow that to rub off on them. Now, the second kind of major category this morning of mission is how has God equipped us to do it? So he calls us to reconciliation. He calls us to discipleship. And by the way, that's not optional. 
Because many times we think with mission, we think, oh, mission, that's foreign mission. That's the person who's crazy enough to go to the other side of the world and eat weird food and speak a different language and live in a different culture. That's a missionary. No, mission is for all of us. You said yes to Jesus, you said yes to mission. So how does he equip us or prepare us for this? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells us how he's going to equip his followers. He says this, these are his final words of instruction, specific words of instruction to his followers. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus calls his followers to an impossible task. Go make disciples of all nations. Oh, we can do that before breakfast, right? That's really easy. <clears throat> Most difficult thing you'll ever encounter in your life. So what does he do? He says, when I go, I will send my spirit and my spirit will come and live in you in such a way that you will have power that is beyond your own human ability. It will be supernatural. It will be divine. And you will be able to see things happen in your life that you could not do possibly on your own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first way that he equips us is with power. And this is one of the missing elements that we have when it comes to mission and why so many of us are afraid or push back on this thing called mission because all we can see is mission through the lens of my lack or the lens of my inability to do what God's called me to do. So it's somebody else's responsibility. Somebody else has to do this because we're missing the dynamic of God's power through his spirit in our lives. It's the difference between trying to tackle a difficult job with a saw or a chainsaw. A handsaw compared to a chainsaw are worlds apart in the amount of labor and sweat and energy it takes to accomplish the same task. For years, all I had was a handsaw, and I would have to go in our backyard, and a limb would have to come off the tree, or someone would have to get trimmed, and I didn't have a chainsaw. So sometimes, I remember times thinking, I need to go cut that limb off that tree, but all I had was a handsaw, so I had to think, do I have an hour? Because I'm going to have to go wrestle that thing, because I was so cheap, is honestly what it was. And seriously, I would cut, and it was like, why am I doing this? And then finally, finally I broke down and bought my first chainsaw. And I couldn't believe how quick it was to cut through anything in my backyard. In fact, one of the best moments was when we had a tree actually go down. One of our trees went down in our backyard, pretty sizable tree. This is in the middle of the winter in Oregon. It's windy and rainy and soggy. And I said, thank God I have a chainsaw. So I went outside, and you can't cut a, a tree that's this round. You can't cut with a handsaw. You can try, but it's kind of stupid, so don't try it. But a chainsaw literally can cut through so much stuff. And I think sometimes when it comes to mission, you know, in our mind, you know what we're thinking? We're thinking, I have a handsaw, and a chainsaw is what required. I can't do it. That's why the Holy Spirit gives us power. That's why surrendering to him, that's why experiencing his power, being filled with his power, changes everything. Because one of the greatest obstacles is, to mission is your fear. We're afraid. And we think, I can't even possibly think about moving around the world because I'm struggling with crossing the street. I can't possibly talk to my neighbor because I might say something stupid and they'll think that I'm weird and th they think I'm some kind of a Jesus freak. And then there goes the neighborhood, right? Because now they think I'm weird and I can't relate to them. We have all these phobias in our mind and we've missed the bigger narrative that God loves people. And he's placed you in your job and your school and your neighborhood for his purpose. He chooses the times and the places where we live so that people might find him through our lives. So he gives us power. Second thing, he equips us with power and then something else we usually write off is that he equips us with story. So many times in our lives we think 
that the journey that we have with Jesus is not good enough for somebody to think that they could experience the same thing. We always think of somebody else's, and we use the term in the church, testimony, somebody else's story. And you've heard the great stories of somebody who was uh, an axe murderer, or they were a drug addict, or they were whatever, and suddenly they came to Christ, and their life was transformed, and now they're a brand new person, and now they're on fire for Jesus, and you're like, wow, I don't have that story. That was me. You know, I've told a story. You know where I got saved? Leaning down on a plaid couch in my family room with my dad after an episode of the Waltons. How anticlimactic is that? But you know what's powerful about it? It's my story. Your story is your story. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Talking of the martyrs who overcame the enemy, it says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What is that? It is through what? Jesus' death on the cross and the word of your testimony that you overcome what is in front of you and pushes back against you. Your story has power. Why does it have power? Because you can't own somebody else's story. You can only own your own story. And when you share and you let somebody into your life and you share, even though you don't think it's some spectacular testimony, you share your journey, your authentic journey with people and you talk honestly about your brokenness and your failures and your struggles, but God's grace in your life and the things that have happened and how you've been changed, that means more to somebody than you telling somebody else's story because it's authentic and real and it's you. People want to know what's real. They want to know in your terms, what does this mean for you? What does Jesus mean for you? Not what did it mean for somebody else. Don't tell somebody else's story. Tell your own story. There's power in that, but so many times we, we just write off our story as insignificant. But how do we overcome? Through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And then there's three final things I just want to touch on in terms of why has God commanded us to do this? Why has he said this is important? Why is mission not optional but mandatory for all of us? The first thing is this. It is about his return. So Jesus says to his disciples, I am returning to the Father. And he goes back. This is 2,000 years ago. But he says and he promises that he will return someday for his people. So we have that promise and we're living in that promise for the last 2,000 years of church history in anticipation. And here's the crazy thing about this. We don't know the time or the date of Jesus' return. But what's crazy is for a couple thousand years, we keep trying to figure it out. You know, the people who pull out the calendar and the charts, and then they make a date prediction, and then people start selling their possessions, and they go to a mountaintop, and they wait for Jesus to come back, and then they all leave disappointed, and everybody looks at the church and says, really? Right? Why? Because we don't know. But you know what's crazy is the God of the universe has allowed us as human beings to actually play a role in the timeline of when Jesus comes back. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this is Jesus' words. He said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. I've read that verse, I don't know how many times on a Sunday morning, but just let that sink in for a moment. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the gospel. What is the gospel we've been talking about? The gospel of reconciliation, of discipleship, of God bringing people back to himself through Jesus will be preached to all all nations, which means every language group, every subculture, every people group, every nation around the world, and then he comes back. 
Just think about that for a moment. Every single day of our lives, we have the capacity to impact eternity in terms of the time frame Jesus is using to when he returns. Why hasn't he come back yet? Because not everyone has heard. There are thousands of people groups around the world that have yet to have the gospel presented in such a way in their culture that they can understand it. Thousands of people groups that have not had the scriptures translated into their language. In every single generation since Jesus left the planet, there has been the capacity and the opportunity for Jesus to turn around and come right back if the church answers the call of mission. I get a little amped on this. I get a little excited because that means every day when I get up, every single day, I can make a dent in the time frame of Jesus returning. Just, just think about that for a moment. If that drove us every single day, that the way that we get closer to Jesus is by telling people about him. The way that we get closer to being face-to-face with him and experiencing what we all desire and long for is that I make his mission the focal point of my life. There's a great scene, I won't play it, there's a great scene in Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks, who's playing Captain Miller, he's got this group of guys and they've been pulled off the front lines to go find Private Ryan because his three other siblings, his three other brothers, have died in combat. And they want to get him home safely. And so they pull these guys off the front lines and this team comes together and Captain Miller's in charge of them and none of them want to do this. They all want to be out on the front line. They want to be fighting the real war. They don't want to go hunt hunt some private down somewhere behind the lines. And so he pulls them together and they're all pushing back and this is what he says in so many words. He says, listen, he said, if going and finding Ryan and getting him home to his mother and getting him home safely is what gets me back to my family and my home, then that's my mission. And that was the kind of the rallying cry at that moment in their journey that they all, the light went on for them. They realized that saving Ryan was actually saving them. The same thing is true for us. When we get up in the morning realizing that if I reach out to people and I share life with people and I build relationships with people and I help them to be reconciled back to God, that gets me closer to Jesus. And if that gets me closer to Jesus, then that's my mission. That has to drive us. That has to be the part of our life that every single day I have an opportunity to see this time frame shrink of when Jesus will come back as we reach more and more people. And then the second thing, It's not only about his return, but it's about his world. Why did God command us to be on mission? It's because it's about his world. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Here is the finish line of all of eternity. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. This is John's vision of the future. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In this passage is the same phrase that keeps coming up every nation every tribe every people every language that is in the great commission in matthew 28 it is in the words we just read in matthew 24 and here it is in revelation chapter 7 why is it there because god loves people he loves everybody he loves people that are different than us he loves people that we can't stand he loves people that we don't understand he loves people And the finish line for him is that we all gather together as this beautiful mosaic before the throne of all these different backgrounds and nationalities and people groups, what all focused on Jesus. 
That's the end result. It's about the world. It isn't about a certain country. It isn't about a certain people. Is it about all people? And most people, when I talk, I'm like, yeah, I believe that God loves all people until you encounter the people that you don't love. And when they confront you and you, you don't understand them, you have a tendency to struggle with, wow, then I, I think God loves all people, but I don't know if God could really love them. I know I experienced this a few years ago. There was a, a couple in our church that had started to get to know a couple they met in our community, and this couple was a Muslim couple from Somalia. And they were devout Muslims. And so she got to know them, and they said, hey, we'd love, you, love for you to get together sometime with our pastors and just talk to them. And I said, we'd love to. And so the, the woman decided to make us Somalian food. That we, so we, we went over to a friend's house, and she had prepared this huge meal with all kinds of amazing things that I don't know what they were, and I don't even want to know what they were. They just tasted really good. But we sat down, and when we sat down to eat, we prayed they prayed to Allah. We prayed to Jesus. And then we began for the next two to three hours just to dialogue about their journey. I wasn't trying to convert them. I wasn't trying to tell them why Islam is wrong and Christianity is right. I just wanted to hear their story. Because in my mind, the default was this was not, this was obviously post 9-11 and all that goes in that, the pushback on extreme Islam and all that's there. And you're thinking, okay, who's sitting in front of me? And they're just telling their story. Their story was amazing. They both shared they had gone to school one morning and in the middle of the day, an extreme Muslim group goes by the name of Al-Shabaab, which is operating in Africa, specifically Somalia, began to fight back against people, started a civil war in the middle of a school day to the point where they went to school in the morning and they couldn't go back home after school was out because war had broken out. They were separated from their families, and they told the journey of how literally miraculously they were reunited with their families, and then eventually, after the the great persecution, this is Muslim on Muslim persecution, they had to flee their own country and come to the United States to find freedom. And as I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, Now I'm beginning to understand more about Islam because I have two people sitting in front of me who have lived this journey, and here's the crazy thing. I knew exactly what was happening when we sat in that dining room for three hours. The God of the universe loved this couple so much that he allowed them to experience what they experienced and use their circumstances to plop them in this little podunk town called Newburgh, Oregon that is 99% white with two black people from Africa, from Somalia, who are Muslim, so they could run into some people who know Jesus, which would have never happened in Somalia. How, that's God-loving people. He had to bring them into our lives so that God can demonstrate that's how he cares about people, that he would orchestrate circumstances so they can encounter Jesus. How many people in our lives have we written off in our country? How many people, because of their color of their skin or their nationality or whether they are st- their status is illegal or legal, have we pushed aside? Why? Because we don't understand or we don't like them. But maybe God is working something out even within our own city to reach people that he loves. So it's about ultimately his return. It's about his world. And then finally this, why has God called us to mission? Why has he commanded us to do this? Because ultimately it's about his heart. Remember, what is the big picture? Reconciliation. God bringing people back into relationship with him. 
And the only way he makes that possible is through Jesus' death on the cross that pays for our sin and imperfection to bring us back to God. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is the heart of God. John writes this again, a vision for the future that he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the end result. What is that? That's reconciliation. That is the perfect God of the universe making it possible for the broken humanity that he created, that it became broken on our, on our side of things, making it possible for us to be face-to-face with him. What Adam and Eve experienced in the garden is what is restored in eternity. Face-to-face relationship with God. No shame, no guilt, no pain, no, no crying, no mourning, no death. Just God and his creation. That's where this is headed. That's his heart. That's his desire that he wants people to be with him. So why is mission so important? Because mission is the greatest rescue plan of all time. It is a rescue plan that God put into motion because he loves people. And the people he loves and brings into his family, he charges and equips and commands us to reach other people in our city and in our world. This is a cycle that has to continue. Otherwise, we're just going to be hanging out for thousands and thousands of years as what Peter said, God patiently waits for people and the church to come a place to a place of repentance so that they might discover who Jesus is. This is where we're at. So let me close with a couple of things. God is in the process of rescuing people through your life. When I was growing up, one of the traditions we had in our family was Sunday dinner which was my mom would make some kind of food, a roast or something, and make a lot of extra food. And every Sunday, we'd always have people that either I knew or people that they had invited from church. And so there was always a couple extra places on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoons. And there was people that would come into our house. And because my parents had great compassion for people, there were a lot of broken people that came through the doors of our house. And we would get to meet them. And there was one gal in particular that I remember clearly she came and she sat down for the first time at our dinner table and she shared kind of what she had gone through and she had just come to know Jesus and she had come through really deep, dark kind of season of depression in her life and had struggled with depression her whole life. Been suicidal on a number of occasions so she had shared her journey. and So she kept coming back Sunday after Sunday and she would have dinner with us and then she would show up during the week and she kind of, kind of was kind of adopted by our family. And then one day I remember the phone rang and my mom answered, my dad answered the phone, I think, initially, and this was this gal, and she had overdosed on sleeping pills, and she was trying to kill herself, and she, so she was on the phone, but she was fading fast, and so as my dad was talking to her, he was trying to get information out of her to find out where she was. This was before cell phones. Couldn't track her, couldn't, didn't know where she was, and so he's asking her questions, and he's listening to background noise, and in a five-minute conversation, he figured out she was down at the Santa Monica Pier at a payphone. So he hands the phone off to my mom 
and he hops in the car and he drives as fast as he can. Somebody else calls the police to kind of tell this, tell them this is what's going on. So the police are on their way. My dad is on his way. My mom's on the phone trying to stall her, trying to keep her from, from going unconscious. And so she keeps talking and talking. And my dad gets down there and through a miraculous circumstance, he finds the one payphone that she's at and he gets to her in time and they take her to the hospital and they pump her stomach and they save her life. I remember when she came back into our family, I remember realizing she was home again. Today, that woman knows Jesus and she's a professional counselor who counsels people who are going through depression. But it was almost over. But my parents thought she has to come home. She has to be saved. Somebody has to go after her. And because they did, she lives a life now that is something she could have never imagined. That story is repeated millions of times in our culture. Jesus is calling us to call people home. It may be your neighbor across the street that you struggle with because they park in front of your house and you can't stand it. It may be the person who drives down your street and they play their music too loud and you can't stand it. It may be the coworker who irritates you because you don't like their work ethic. It may be the person who speaks a different language and you can't understand and it frustrates you. Those are the people that God says, it's time to call them home. It's time to reconcile them back to me. And you've been placed in a position. You're in sc- your school. You're in your work. You're in your home. You're in your neighborhood. Why? Because I placed you there to be an ambassador of my reconciliation. That's mission. Nobody's exempt from it. Nobody gets a get-out-of-jail-free card on mission. God calls us all to that. And if we believe the gospel, then we will be different and our city will be different. Our neighbors will be different. People will have the opportunity to know who Jesus is. And we can actually see the city of Simi Valley get away from the slang terms like slimy valley or the place where the church has always ended in failure. All the things that our city has been, that can all be wiped away when people come to know Jesus. And I'm convinced in our generation, it can happen. But it comes down to us. Are we gonna do this? Or are we gonna say, ah, it's somebody else's responsibility? Now, the Holy Spirit is moving through the churches. The Holy Spirit is moving through us and he's wanting to reach our city, but we have to say yes to the call. So I'm gonna close with this. Ushers, go ahead and pass out what you're, the handout you're gonna give out. What you're gonna receive in, in just a moment, the ushers are handing out to you. This is the practical way of taking the next step in mission for us as a church and as individuals. What you will get is a little flyer and it says, Pray See Me 2016. What I'm calling us to do over the next six weeks, we have six weeks between now and Easter, is that I'm asking our church, I'm calling Antioch to fast and pray for our city. And there's very practical, specific ways that I'm going to ask us to do this. So when it comes to fasting, I know that fasting for some comes easy. For others, it's very difficult. For some who have dietary restrictions, you can't go without food. I understand that. But there are other things that you can fast, like electronics, like hobbies, like things that you normally do that you know if you gave up, you kind of feel that a little bit. But this is what I'm asking you to do. Find whatever whatever rhythm of fasting you can handle. It could be one meal, it could be one day, it could be a few days at a time. But the point is not necessarily the fasting, the point is the prayer and what God wants to do. This is what we're gonna do. So on the, the handout you have, over the next six weeks, each week we will have a specific prayer focus for that week. This week is our city officials mayor, city council, government officials, police department, fire department. And this is how we're going to pray. It's a little bit different. We're not going to gather at the church and pray here. 
In fact, we're not even going to pray corporately together. We're going to pray individually, on-site, with insight. What do I mean by that? This week is a perfect example. We're going to pray for our city, but this is how we're going to do it. We're going to go however your schedule works out. If you work all day long, you might have to go at night or on a Saturday or a Sunday. But why don't you go to police station or a fire station? Or I know what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to go walk around our civic center at Tapo Canyon and Alamo. Now, I'm not going to go and stand at the pole and get on my knees and pray and try to assert my right as a Christian to pray. That's not what this is about. I'm going to walk the walkways in the park, around the library, around the, the, where the, the city council meets, where the mayor's office is, where the police department is, with my eyes wide open, saying, God, what needs are there in my city that I have yet to see? What am I missing? What do you want me to see? What is the Holy Spirit highlighting for me that I need to see and then know how am I supposed to respond accordingly? We need God's Spirit to show us because what needs to happen to our city is supernatural. It's not something we can manufacture. So then each week when we come, what's going to happen is that next week we'll provide, we'll go after schools and we'll go after things called third places where, where you frequent, where you go into Starbucks or you go to a certain market or you go to a certain restaurant and you, start, you already start to know some of the employees there. Instead of going to Starbucks and just getting your mocha or your latte or whatever and sitting there and do whatever you do, why don't you buy it, sit down and look around the room and pray for people. Pray for the barista that just served you a drink. Pray for people, then God will open your eyes to what the needs are in their lives and then respond accordingly. So each week when we do this, I'm asking you to make a commitment in your schedule to go find time to go to these sites all over our city. When we go to schools, go walk around school, but don't be a creeper, okay? Don't make it look like you're stalking kids. Just walk around and let God speak to you. This is not about some right to pray, but oh, here it is God saying, let me open your eyes to what's going on around you. The dangers of living in a city too long is that we fall asleep to our own city. Everything becomes common. Everything becomes normal. Everything becomes routine. You drive by the same places you drive by. You go to the same places, but you forget there are people all around you who have yet to be reconciled back to God. This is the commitment we're going to make between now and Easter for the next six weeks. We are going to pray and fast, and we're going to see, God, what do you want to do in us? How do you want to respond to the city? This is what may, may happen. It may not be a, a church-wide thing that we do. It may be something God pinpoints in your heart and says, you're the one to start this. You're the one to go after this need. You're the one to respond to this person. It may be leading to something that we do as a church family. I don't know, but I know we got to get out in our city. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit and then respond accordingly. Can we make this commitment for the next six weeks? Amen? Yes? All right, let's pray together. And then we're going to sing one last song. And before I pray, I'm going to encourage you. I know at the end of our service, when we go back into a song or two, there's this tendency to, oh, you know what? We're wrapping up. Pastor John's gone. I think I'm going to head out a little early. No one's going to look at you shamefully if you walk out the door early. But let me encourage you. Part of the process of worship on the back end of the message is to seal what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm not going to keep you long, but I encourage you, let the Holy Spirit move through you so when we walk out this door, we go out energized and empowered for what God is calling us to in this next season. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your call to each one of us in mission. Thank you that you are willing to give your life for us. We thank you for the gospel that rings true in our life, that your love was so great for us, that you allowed the Father to send you into the world to die for us and then to rise from the dead to purchase our lives so that we could be reconciled back to God. 
that we no longer have to be in a state of brokenness and sinfulness and shame and all the things that our lives bring, but Lord, we can be right with you. We can be at peace with you. We can experience life. And because, Lord, we've experienced that, we want our city to experience that. We want our world to experience that. So, Lord, we ask that now, even in these moments and over these next six weeks, your Holy Spirit would come and fill us, come and empower us, come and give us the ability that we don't have on our own so that we might see our lives be examples of reconciliation to others that might also experience the same thing in you. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.